Have a seat. Hey, I'll tell you, today in communion, this happens to me from time to time. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but uh, while I was uh, uh, taking the cup and, and then passed it on and was waiting there, and as we were sharing communion together, I, I really was kind of overwhelmed by just a feeling of uh, gra- gratitude for our, our body. And I, was, uh, I heard, uh, heard a small child kind of cooing behind me a little bit. Uh, Cora was kind of peeking over the pew back and, and giving me a sweet little look. Um, and, and then I looked, uh, looked around and saw uh, people uh, being attentive to each other. Uh, you know, husbands kind of leaning into their spouses a little bit. And uh, friends that have been here for a long time just kind of uh, sitting with each other. And then as we started to, to sing together, singing I Need Thee every hour. I thought about some of you who are singing that this week with a little bit of a uh, more urgency, thinking about the different ways that your need for the Lord has been pressed into your life. And I thought about uh, some of our friends who aren't here today because we have you know, several people that are working or some people that are home with sickness and different things that are going on. And I thought about them and uh, missed them a little bit. And I just thought about how it's so good that God has brought us together. It's good. It's good that God has brought us in into a community together uh, from all the different places in life that we all come from uh, and brought us to be church together. And I'm grateful for that. I'm just madly grateful for that this morning. Um, tonight, as you know, uh, we are going to celebrate uh, several who have uh, either been baptized or have come to be a part of our church here in the, in the last uh, six months. And uh, we want to uh, celebrate that with them, too, uh, as they come from different places. And, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful that you found Cedar Lane to be something that uh, is good for you and for your life. But uh, I want you to know, for those of our, our newcomers out there, um, I want you to know that we're grateful for you, too. And you add something to our church. And you don't have to be here for 40 years before you mean something to this church, right? Um, we, we believe that every, every person that God draws into our midst... Uh, has gifts that strengthen and enrich the whole body. And we're grateful for that, okay? Let's pray together. Oh, holy God, we give you great thanks for binding us together uh, into your people. And we're grateful for the people along our way that helped us take steps in faith that brought us to this place today. We're grateful for those people that have uh, spoken the word to us, perhaps for the first time. And for those who have nurtured our faith uh, by kind encouragement and gentle teaching. We're grateful for those who have confronted us and forced us to rethink things sometimes. We're grateful for those who have just loved us all along the way. We pray that you would help us be all of that to each other. Help us to be a community of faith uh, that shows your divine, stubborn, relentless love to each other. And Father, we pray that your name is honored as we live that way. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. James pictures a community in chaos with fights that seem to pop up from nowhere, where everybody seems to be at each other's throat, where nobody has any kind of respect for each other, everybody's just trying to get what they want. I know, use your imagination, 
But see if you can picture it too. A community in chaos. A community in which every, nobody's kind of pushing towards the same goal, but everybody seems to be pulling away from each other. Where everybody seems to be uh, perfectly willing to take what they, can, uh, what they can get at the expense of somebody else or cause somebody harm or, or perfectly willing to disregard the needs of other people as long as their own desires and wants are fulfilled. He pictures a community in chaos. And honestly, it's not that hard for most of us to get the drift, right? He has the um, intent here, though, of not just giving the stern rebuke, which he certainly does, but James doesn't just point his finger and wag it at us and say, you guys fix all that. But rather, he wants to give us clarity for where it all comes from. He wants us to understand how we get into that place of chaos. And so he kind of follows us or, or walks us through a little bit of a recipe for chaos so that we understand exactly how it is we got to this place. And I need that sometimes. You do too, right? When you find yourselves in an argument. How, how many of you have ever been in an argument and 10 minutes in you started wondering, man, I don't even, I don't even know why we're fighting. You ever felt that? Yeah. Or you've had like a, a, just a, a knockdown drag out with a, with a friend and it's kind of drag, gone on for a couple of weeks and you just kind of sit there and you're sad and you say, man, how did we even get here, right? How did we even get to this place? Or larger scale communities and churches that kind of go through uh, situations where they, they've kind of ended up maybe having a, a, a church has to split, Okay, and they're, they're divided, and they're, they end up having, having to say they go their own way. I know people that have been in those kinds of situations, I know they wake up in the middle of the night, and they think about it, and they wonder, and they ache, and they say, man, how did it even get to this? You ever feel like that? Hey, let's take it to an even smaller scale. Even inside our own, not just our communities or our families maybe, but in, inside ourselves. I mean, you feel yourself pulled in different directions, right? You feel yourself torn by uh, competing claims and competing values sometimes. Sometimes you wrestle with things and uh, maybe the things that you want to do uh, it doesn't really match up with your behavior. Even Paul talks about being like that sometimes, right? But haven't you been in that place? Where all the different stuff just churning inside of you and the difference between who you want to be and who you find yourself to be, you also just like stewing inside and you just think to yourself, man, how did I get to this? You ever felt like that? And James provides clarity. He shows us what the recipe is that led to all this chaos. In his view, the, starting with the text back at the end of chapter 3 that uh, Gary preached for us a couple of weeks ago while I was away at Winterfest, he talks about how, you know, there are two different kinds of wisdom in the world. And, and there is a kind of wisdom that comes uh, down from God. That's the virtue that we think about it with. But he says, there's another kind of wisdom in the world. There's another way, uh, we might say, of organizing your life that is an, an, another way of kind of having a, a set of values and behaviors and, and ways of thinking. All, all that mixed together is wisdom. He says there's another kind of that that doesn't come from God. 
He says, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom, so we're talking about a different kind of wisdom here, right? He says, such wisdom does not come down from above, but it's earthly and unspiritual and it's devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and wickedness of every kind. He says, you have kind of the wrong wisdom running in your brain and your heart and your hands. And you're running off a kind of wisdom that drives you to envy. And it, it's full of what he calls, what the translations here say, selfish ambition. Right? Uh, envy, selfish ambition, bitterness. All of those things are kind of this soup that make up a different kind of wisdom in the world. In our text at the beginning of chapter 4, he says those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Are they not from your cravings that are at war within you? Well, that's a picture, isn't it? The cravings that are at war within you. He says, you want something and you don't have it, so you commit murder. And all of us were going, well, hey, that's a little strong, don't you think? He's exaggerating because he wants us to see where the impulses that lead to conflict and that eventually do lead to violence. He wants to see where that comes from. And it comes from these competing desires, competing cravings, the things that we long for, we want desperately and those things when they just kind of run amok they begin to drive us towards this other path he goes on in verse two and says it says you want something you do not have it so you commit murder and then he goes and you covet something and you cannot obtain it and so you engage in disputes and conflicts he says you don't have because you don't ask and then right when somebody is on the edge of their seat saying, oh, no, I've been asking, he says, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend on what you get on your own pleasures. See, James, he's diving into our hearts. And he's saying this chaos that is around you in your community and this chaos that might be even in your home and this chaos that lives within your own heart. It's not, you don't have to just wonder about it and think about it as some kind of mystery, just some kind of, oh, well, that's the way things are. There, there is a reason all that stuff lives and, and breathes and, and, and is flourishing in the world. There is a recipe that we have followed that has yielded the chaos in our world, in our lives, and in our hearts. And it's the kind of wisdom that says... Reach out for what you want with all you are. If somebody else has it, figure out a way to take it or dream about the day where you might be able to get it from them. Where it puts ourselves above everything else, everybody else. And James says, hey, if you follow the recipe, when the timer goes off, this is what you're going to pull out of the oven. Every Sunday morning, Every Sunday morning, my, because I'm, you know, because I leave and come up here early and am therefore pretty useless as a parent, okay, on Sunday mornings, 
my only con- contribution to getting the kids here uh, healthy, and, healthy and safely to church is this. Uh, before they are awake, I go into the pantry and I pull out a box of muffins and I make those muffins. Literally, I have been doing that every week for the last 10 years, okay? They're not that great. They're just box muffins. Don't get too excited, right? Here's what I do, right? I get it out. I get out the box of muffins, and I get my little measuring uh, glass, and I get uh, one-third of a cup of oil, and I get two-thirds of a cup of water, and I get two eggs, and I put them in there with the bowl, and I put the mix in, and I stir it up, all right? And then I get the blueberries, and I very carefully drain them, even though, honestly, I kind of resent that step. It seems a little useless, okay? But you can just put the blueberries in without draining them, right? You should be. Yeah, okay, sorry. I put the blueberries in. Okay, I put the oven on 400 degrees, I, put the, uh, the, I stir all that stuff up, and I put the little crumbly stuff on the top of it, okay, I put it in the oven, I set the timer, and I go, and I trust that 16 minutes later, somebody in my house is going to hear that timer, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gone, I mean, I'm here by then, okay, I put that in the oven, I trust that somebody is going to hear that timer, and they're going to open up the, the, the oven, and they're going to find there in the oven a fresh, hot, Plan of what? Blueberry muffins, right? Every week, y'all, this is what it's like being a hoe batter. It's great. I don't think anybody's going to walk up to that oven and open it up and look, meatloaf. Right? Nobody's going to open that oven and, you know, 16 minutes later and go, ah, a pepperoni pizza. Great. Right? Nobody's going to open that up. And find lasagna. Because when you follow a recipe and you put the right ingredients in, you get what you cooked, right? James says, hey, just look at the recipe, man. Look at what you've been cooking up. You throw in some envy and some selfish ambition. You throw in some covetousness. You throw in a little bit of bitterness, right? You throw all that stuff in together and you know what you're going to get? You're going to get disorder, and you're going to get chaos. You're going to get quarrels and fights and violence. Whenever the timer goes off, you know what you're going to find in the oven. This is just where this path goes. So he describes that for us. He describes what it means for our lives to be filled with that kind of chaos. And then he very heavily... Chides the people. Gives us warnings. Tries to get us to turn away from all that. And eventually that culminates in this verse, in verse 8, which echoes in my mind all the time. Where James says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. It's important to note that this comes in the midst of a bunch of warnings, okay? This is not just a cuddly, feel-good sentiment. He is saying in the midst of all the things that we need to turn away from, that when we do that and we draw near to God, that God will will be present. That we'll find ourselves in the the very presence of God in the the middle of all that, right? I've got to tell you, though, that that phrase, draw near to God and He will draw near to you, I I find it too simple, mostly because I, I, I read it out of context, right? I just think about that phrase. And it seems too simple to me. 
Because immediately when I hear that, I think, that sounds good, right? I want, I want God to draw near to me. I want to find myself in the presence of God. I want to be aware of the peacefulness that comes in being in God's presence. But how, man? How do I get to that place, right? Draw near to God and he'll draw, good, draw near to you. That sounds really good. But how do you do that? How do you draw... <laughs> How do you draw near to God? What's that supposed, what does that mean, right? And we can't just leave it at the level of nice, flowery, religious language, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's important for us to read that and to insist and say, what does that mean? What does it mean to draw near to God? I got two answers for you today. The first one is a matter of our posture. It's a matter of the way we kind of orient ourselves to God. And this text, in the middle of all these warnings, are meant to help us perceive a certain kind of posture from which we can better draw near to God. That's why James ends his uh, warn or begins, moves from his warnings about why these things happen and says this. He says, uh, verse 3 is one that we read earlier, you asking you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend on what you get on your pleasures. Now pull your toes in. It's going to get hairy for a couple of verses, okay? Here's what he says after that. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Therefore, uh, or, or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the Scripture says God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? He says, but he gives all the more grace. And therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from me. And then we finally get to our verse, uh, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. And then verse 10, the song that we sing often. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. All of that, that harsh language, is meant to grab our attentions so that we understand with crystal clarity the kind of posture that will help us draw near to God. You cannot draw near to God as long as you think there ain't nothing wrong with yourself. You can't draw near to God as long as you kind of think you are God. As long as you think everything is just fine. And so he wants to get our attention and says, hey, look, you need to be prepared to take on a certain kind of posture before God. And that posture is humility. When we come to God, how do we come to God? We come to God in humility. We are willing to take the step of saying, Indeed, I need thee every hour I need thee. 
And we say to ourselves, we need God because of our own failures and our own sin and our own brokenness. And we throw ourselves face down in the dirt before God. Andrew and I are talking today about how we should start worship, whether we, everybody say sitting up or, or, or standing, right? And I said, maybe what we should do this morning, since we're going to sing you know, Humble Yourself, is maybe we should all just lay down in the aisles, face down before God. That's really where all worship starts. That's where the turning back to God, drawing near to God, Starts. It starts with the posture of humility. And we do that in the in knowledge of the promise that God says that when we are humble, He is ready to show us great grace. When we are humble, He's willing to lift us up. But humbling ourselves before God is part of this whole thing, right? But even when we get to that place, the how question is still there, right? Like humility is the manner with which we should act. It's the posture that we take before God. But what else goes into drawing near to God? What are we supposed to do? How? How do we take the steps to be able to draw near to God? And I think if we could ask James that at this point in the letter, I think he might respond and tell us, what do you think we've been talking about for these first three chapters? How do I draw near to God? Maybe, as chapter 1 says, recognize that you don't have the, yet the wisdom that you need, and so pray to God that God will give you everything you need and make you whole and complete and perfect. Or maybe like, he says later on in that chapter, maybe how do we draw near to God? Maybe it's by paying attention to the most vulnerable in our midst, the widows and the orphans. Maybe it's by paying attention to our speech, like, uh, like chapter 1 said, that we need to uh, be, be slow to speak, right? And slow to become angry maybe maybe one of the ways that we draw near to God is by practicing the discipline of being quick to listen say James how how do you draw near to God and he might point us towards chapter 2 which opens up by telling us how we learn to pay attention not just to the, the rich people in our midst that can do something for us but the poor brother and sister that comes in and sits among us too Maybe we draw near to God by drawing near to the people who are vulnerable in our midst. Maybe he would point us to the second half of chapter 2 where he talks about what it means to follow up on our, on our speech faith by putting it into works. And he would say, let your hands follow your mouth and do the things that your faith would have you to do caring for the people around you. Maybe how we draw near to God is by letting our faith drive us to simple acts of obedience and action. Say how 
do I draw near to God? And I think James will look at the beginning of chapter 3 and he would say, well, maybe you need to think about the way that you use your speech and stop using it to curse other people and to put other people down and start using it to build other people up and, and use it to bless other people just like you bless God. Draw near to God by speech that encourages and lifts other people up. See, I think we start off with a posture of humility, but then we also have to lean into the wisdom that God makes available for us to. And James has been teaching us. For We've been trying to pay attention, right? We've been trying to listen. What he's been trying to show us are lots of little bits of wisdom about what it means to live out our faith. And all those things, you may just think that wisdom is about kind of getting your life straight and getting it kind of in order. But let me tell you, wisdom is about drawing near to God. Wisdom is about growing in the way that we live in relationship with the Lord. How do we draw near to God? We put ourselves in a posture of humility. And then we learn to receive and to practice the wisdom that he places before us. We draw near to God as we pursue wisdom in a spirit of humility. That's part of what it means to submit our to, to humble ourselves before the lord right we humble ourselves we take on the posture but we also say to god we receive the wisdom that you've been given us we understand that there is that you have shown us a different way to live and humil- in humility we receive it and we obey and we do god says when we humble ourselves before the lord He will lift us up. We started off with a picture of what it means to live in the midst of chaos. But I think James has all the while been giving us a recipe for something different. He's been giving us a formula, not just a formula, but a a way of wisdom. That if we follow it, leads not just to a life of order, that's partly true not just to a life of blessing i think there's something to that too but most importantly leads to a life near to the heart of god draw near to god and he will draw near to you if you have a need before the lord today that you want to share with the church or if you want to draw near to god in humility Look for ways that you can follow that with obedience and more wisdom in your life. You're certainly welcome to come while we stand and sing together.